Yui, 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 goes the refrain. A million deaths were not enough for Yui. From A Child's History of Moadib by the Princess Irulan. Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name is Mike. Each chapter, we're opening up a new bottle of wine and having a little bit of a buzzed book club. Derek, what's the wine we have this week? So this week, Mike, uh, we picked up a bottle, very much judging a book by its cover. Uh, <laughs> this one just has a great uh, it's a street artist doing a design on the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this woman with sort of blue hair uh, held back in a ponytail with a red ribbon. And then this red ribbon is just sort of flurled and swirling around the rest of the bottle. And it is called Intrinsic. It is wonderful. I think it's a red blend. Uh, 50-50 with some unknowns. I love it. Yeah. Good. I not noticed. as dry as last week, Derek. It's not, no, yeah, <laughs> it is a, a perfect blend of uh, dryness and full flavor body that we expect at Spice World. <laughs> That's what we expect. <laughs> We've come to expect. <laughs> you expect. That's what you want. The bar. We're gonna, you know what? We're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to break into a white one of these days. Yeah, you can do that. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not my favorite, Mike. I know. I know. You try, though. <laughs> Uh, but this week we are back for it's we're all the way up to chapter eight at this point. Chapter eight, we're doing okay. Not that bad. We're making bad. good progress. How many chapters are there? Forty nine. <laughs> well, <laughs> a lot more. Hey, we're what? We're about a seventh of the way there. Yeah, enough of that. We've marked a few percents on the board. Uh, I think we're happy. We're rapidly yeah. approaching. No, I, that, that's wrong. That's completely wrong. <laughs> think about it. Yeah, we're over ten yeah. percent. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, we're doing great. Nonetheless, uh, and I'm glad we've been able to keep up with it, but. We're on Arrakis, as we celebrated last mm. time. Uh, we're kind of getting used to this new castle that we're in, mm-hmm. uh, the Arakeen Palace. Arakeen Palace, that's the name of it? Uh, yeah, that. well, that's kind of going to be a different name in the future, uh, okay. but it applies to this now. All right. Um, but, like, down the road, they're going to build another thing called the Arakeen Palace. Uh, I don't know what else to call this at this point. All it's, right. It's the government seat of the Duke Leto Atreides uh, while he's on Arrakis. Okay. Uh, last time... Jessica was setting up that great hall and she booked it out of there Mm -hmm. uh, because she got this bad feeling that was growing in her through the whole chapter. And after she resolved her sort of uh, confrontation with the shadow mates, uh, she was really worried about Paul and took off to the other side of the castle. Uh, The Duke Leto sort of let us know there were nicer rooms on that side. Yeah. That's pretty much where we're going. Uh, Just to give you an idea of, like, following the continuity of this. uh, Right. Because it's a great fluid movement uh, where we just kind of hop on and follow her trail through. Meanwhile, shut up, Mapes is taking the bull by the horns. (laughs) Yeah, she's dragging things. She's putting that on the wall. On the By herself. On the great hall that towered above. (laughs) She's going to climb up there. I assume she has an elaborate pulley system. (laughs) That lifts the shout-out up. Uh, All done by her. No help. (laughs) Before we go into the chapter, though, as always, I I always want to kind of double back because this one has a unique little uh, quotation at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we have Yui, Yui, Yui goes the refrain. What did you make of that? So refrain. So a song of some sort. Sure. Uh, at least something, or, yeah, yeah, something popular that everybody knows. Like yeah. if you were to say that, I think the rest of the people in the bar would be like, "A million deaths were not enough for Yui." 
A million deaths? A Does million he kill deaths. a million people? Is he responsible for every single member of the Atreides house like dying? Oh my, I mean, it would have to be a planet. Uh, a million? No, a million. Not, not the whole planet, but I mean, like, more than just the family, you know? What does he do? Well, um, ultimately, I think that is more counting uh, the effects of what he does. Oh, the repercussions? Yeah, kills millions of people. Mm. And that this is this is uh, Irulan looking back. So remember that, um, as we've already kind of noticed looking firsthand... History is a distorted means of learning anything. Mm-hmm. So we know that, like, the Baron is going to pull some strings to cover up how uh, they corrupted Dr. Yui. Right. And other uh, houses in the near future are going to be debating this topic as if it is up for debate, even though we know concretely uh, kind of what's heard and that Yui has been broken of his imperial conditioning. Right. So... Irulan is looking back at this as a historian. I think we need to keep that in mind where we know that having met Yui, like that does not sound like Yui. Or especially no, go, no, going into this all. chapter, hearing this and then meeting this again, this very quiet, subdued man who is just contemplating his guilt all the time. Hmm. Uh, there's some distortion that happens in history that lets Irulan kind of land on this. Or just in general, everybody gets this perception of him as such an evil and dark figure. Um, and I told you when we did the uh, Orange Catholic Bible, mm-hmm. uh, remember we did the background on that? Right. Uh, that whole document that I drew from is attributed to Paul Atreides. Uh, like he wrote out that history. And it's because the Orange Catholic Bible was very important to him. But who gave that to right. him? Right. Who kind of put that whole seed in? But and they don't talk about that in Irulan's writings. They don't. Uh, I have a little bit of insight um, to give you that uh, Paul let that version of Yui be presented to some extent. Right. I mean, he could have, I mean, he, well, yeah, yeah, he, he knew Yui pretty well. Right. He could have sort of like, uh, I mean, you, we don't know where everybody ends up, especially you don't know where everybody ends yeah. up at the end of the book. And I don't want to like kind of ruin that for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, suffice to say that like Paul makes it through to the end. Uh, well, I kind of figured as much. Because I've talked about the second book with Paul. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, and you know, that I, I don't think that's too big of a spoiler for a book that's uh, like 40, 55 years old now. Yeah. It's about time. Right. Um, but it's interesting that uh, Paul, understanding the complexities of history, chooses not to clear that up. Mm. He doesn't feel like that's uh, something he has to do or should do. Mm. Uh, but it's just, yeah, that way that Yui is always very juxtaposed to these kind of quotations that present him. And I think that lets us uh, read more into the universe as a whole. And knowing that, like, history is incorrect and we can't fully trust these kind of things. Mm. We got to take them with a grain of salt. Um, I would also, because you and I just sort of talked about this before, but that in uh, Princess Irulan saying that, she is not representing a Bene Gesserit point of view either. That is like a macro historical view of him. Just like when you, you, what was the, the book when was, you and I were talking, you just mentioned that maybe that, if that was like a Bene Gesserit thing uh, right. from her saying. So Child's History of Muad'Dib, it's not exclusively for like the... Uh, I think that's a, a good point to point out. Yeah, it's a simplified version of history at that. Mm-hmm. Being a child. This is what a child is expected to learn. And this is what uh, circulated throughout the Imperium as a whole? It's uh, like a potential book you can just pick up? Yeah, yeah. It's probably part of like uh, an education curriculum, uh, maybe among the noble houses. Hmm. 
so other people would definitely learn learn about this and uh if it, you know that refrain goes that right. refrain is also ingrained in pop popular culture right damn poor yui yeah poor you especially yeah. i mean the guy he doesn't want to do this no he doesn't so that in mind why don't we uh why don't we slip into this room right. uh right after jessica because she's run down the hallway right we've gotten to this little side room and she steps into it and the way they describe it, uh, it's all empty bookcases, a couple chairs and a desk. So it seems like this is maybe Paul's sort of like quasi classroom that is adjoining to his actual bedroom. Uh, a bit of a study. Yeah, well, well, sort of like a, yeah, I guess like a like a fancy foyer. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, it's got a window, looks up to the outside. And uh, Yui is just standing there. Yeah. There's also a water flask hanging with dust on it, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. I did catch that too. Uh, and that was a little weird. Uh, I don't get what that it represents. Uh, I mean, how the little the people of this place want for water. Want for it? That they have it there. They, and they don't, don't even, even need to like it. take out their flask. Like they can just get it readily. Well, but then it doesn't even seem like they use that. Yeah. That, that water is just sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. That's like. <laughs> That's life or death for someone outside, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and especially what we're going to talk on with these yeah. date trees. Uh, I wonder how much water was in there. How many liters? How, yeah. many, how many people are in that water? Oh, flask, gosh. Mike? At least a baby. At least a baby. <laughs> um, so Jessica comes in. We get our first, uh, not our first, but another description of Yui as he's sort of like standing looking out. And I thought it was kind of uh, one thing that always gets me. And I, I like uh, knowing that he is the traitor. I'm just so, so suspicious of everything Yui is doing. Uh he has a white smudge near his left elbow, um, as though he had leaned against chalk. Mm-hmm. That one, I mean, granted, he could have just been teaching Paul something, and you know there's that sort of reduction of technology as a whole in this universe. Uh, they very well could still be using chalk. And oh, stuff. I, th- I definitely think so. It just is innocuous, but they're just, we know that this Harkonnen plan is afoot. People are up to stuff. And I was like, uh, maybe he'd been crawling through somewhere. Maybe... Huh. No, I think it would have been over more than just one elbow. I think one yeah, elbow, yeah. especially oh, with yeah. a dominant hand, would like and, suggest. And like maybe maybe that would have been enough of a red flag for just be like, what's why is there chalk on your elbow if we don't use chalk or something? So yeah, I, I think it is uh, pretty innocuous, but it just there. Uh, anytime it mentions something even slightly unusual with Yui, uh, my mind entertains the notion of more intricate um, machinations on his part. I think this is more to illustrate Jessica's training of minutia. And just, like, what she sees and what she thinks based off of that mm-hmm. in the immediate future. And I know that, like, we know that he's the traitor. But I think it's just establishing sort of her skill set. Because we haven't really gotten too or, much. Well, like, reinforcing her reinforcing, skill set. Yeah. yeah. Because I, we haven't really dived into her. Uh, yeah, I think we've been told more than shown. Yeah, for sure. A lot of things. And then this is, yeah, like I saying, she's just kind of catching it on the fly and letting you know. Uh, it does also illuminate action that occurred before we got in the room. True. If, you know, like he's been teaching him. There was some chalk action uh, explaining because we know Paul is going <laughs> to some chalk action, some chalk action. <laughs> so my teachers called it. Doctor, you is a rock climber. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, the other description point that I love is that uh, he's there. He's like a fleshless stick figure. Uh, and then it ends with uh, a caricature poised for stringy movement at the di- at the direction of a puppet. Master. Yeah, I saw that. She like. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Just go with it, Jessica. Just ride with yeah, it. Yeah, if, if that is exactly like the stream of consciousness in her thought, yeah. you're like, st- hold it right there. You got it. I'm um, glad you picked that out because I also sort of highlighted that like, hmm. 
And then uh, he has a silver Souk school ring around mm-hmm. his hair. Yeah, we, we established that the first time we met him. We did. And so I have a little bit more on that. Oh. Uh, so just because uh, I'm going to expand upon, we did a little bit of a Souk school background. Okay. So that silver ring is when you are completed your second level conditioning. And that's sort of the low level uh, okay. that you'd pump out at. The next level would be first level conditioning. And that is a golden ring that would bind your hair. Oh. Um, and that is the one that comes out one every five years. So Yui is one. He's like oh. your normal souk doctor. He's diet souk. Yeah. Diet souk, souk light. Uh, <laughs> they come out once a year, new souks. Uh, there's like one to two students that oh, arise man. one to two years. Um, so I, I did air a little bit. I think I implied that he was the one every five years, but he's actually that little school below. Um, and then he has a, did we say we have, we have his mustache here as well? Or is that the next line? Oh, that's uh, the next line, I think. Okay. Um, so, like I said, Jessica came here looking for Paul. We had that foreboding feeling building up last time. And she asked Yui where he is. And he tells her, like, he's in there sleeping it off, you know. He'd given him a sedative. Uh, and then she's just sort of like immediately, okay. Well, he, he doesn't mention the sedative for some time, actually. Oh, okay. It's a little way up. But nonetheless, so Paul's in there sleeping. And, yeah. uh she is like just kind of relieved. Uh, she knows that the room adjoins there, and that's enough. And she just starts kind of having this conversation with Yui. First thing he does is he apologizes for being too familiar with her, right? Because she catches him a little off guard. Like he yeah. just, he's staring out the window, and he just answers back, "Oh, Jessica," and da da da, and then catches himself real quick. Like, oh, like, oh, oh, oh. And um, she she says it's okay. Like after six years, uh, it's like. Uh, long past time, the formalities be dropped between them. So Yui's been in their service for six years at least. Okay, so yeah, if you said six years there, then yeah. yeah. And that brings us about to the time when we have uh, Wana potentially oh. disappearing. So I wonder how uh, much that overlaps with the correlation between the two. And I, I want to know, too, did you catch that Yui, uh, he tricks her in that moment? Oh, yeah, he does. He wasn't caught off guard. Um, so he and he knew she was there and intentionally used her name. It's a part of his plan to sort of like slip under the radar. Yeah. That way, if anything is unusual in this manner that she picks up because she he knows how Benny Jesuit work. Right. right. Why don't we uh, let's just like pull that one out. Uh, so this can be like uh, in the forefront of our minds for the rest of this dialogue. Okay. So Yui, um, he's got this insight on Benny Jesuit ways. Yeah. Because of Wana. Yeah. Well, she taught him a lot, uh, which seems to be a Benny Jesuit thing. They love to teach people outside of the school. All their tricks. It must be so hard to keep a secret in. <laughs> like, there's no one. You None can of them can follow the rules. <laughs> just Gu- keep guidelines. <laughs> just guidelines. And so Yui, feeling himself in a precarious situation, being like he knows he's a traitor and he has this lie he's carrying with him. He has to put Jessica off, and he knows that Jessica is also not a truth sayer. Because we know that Wana was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wana was one of the best uh, up and coming. Oh. She was being groomed by Gaius Helamahayam, potentially. Oh, I did not know that. Uh, we t- touched on it very lightly, of just that um, the people got to choose their successors, and mm-hmm. that Wana was kind of chosen for that. Oh, wow. Um, but then she got put in this plot, and she knew what she was doing when she was pulled into this uh, endeavor. And sadly, like took it because she uh, her loyalty to the Bene Gesserit trumped her marriage mm-hmm. uh, in so many ways. So Yui has this insight. He knows that Jessica can't true sense, and he's going to try to walk this thin line uh, between the truth and revealing this huge lie that's a burden to him. Right. Uh, and just really play Jessica like a flute. Uh, 
there's so many times when she almost catches him and he just does like enough of the right thing. And right. I like that uh, he kind of lets you know why he's doing something. Yeah, he rationalizes it. Just, well, just, yeah, letting you know the technique. Of, like, mm-hmm. this lets you do this to a Bene Gesserit and work around. It's like when all else fails, all you can do is tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And, so, and that's like your best defense to lie. Uh, yeah, but like you, you have to do it in a guy's hell of a highway. Like not lie but not tell everything yeah you gotta find something you can believe when you say it right yeah and have uh, confidence in it so when yui tricks her this first time by uh saying her name making her think like oh i've offended you he ventures a thin smile uh which i like that of like that is because he doesn't have many jesuit control right so like when he pulls something off he's gonna be a little proud and it's gonna slip a little bit and i think that's just him being very nervous like i'm gonna do this i hope she doesn't catch this <laughs> but i can't stop myself uh and he like he think knows it's worked and anything uh unusual in my manner like i said is yeah it's gonna be just embarrassment now yeah she, she'll just attribute it to like it being awkward like speaking this way mm-hmm. sort of like how Thufir misinterpreted paul um being afraid yeah paul like the fear for paul for when he was conscious had this other thing on his mind i love how we are building up these individuals to be like best of the best but like we very clearly learn quickly they're infallible yeah yeah, no one is perfect, and that's sort of... Or not a, infallible, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, they are fallible. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the idea that no one or institution is perfect. Uh, like, everything that even should operate so greatly has flaws and errors. The Bene Gesserit, semi-perfect. Whoa, man, did they miss the mark <laughs> on that last breeding step. Uh, and it's just a human error gets thrown in. So... Yui's, uh, he's happy. This is all going to work. And he tells her uh, that he was off a wool gathering. Uh, yeah, that it came line. back. It did. So how often is wool gathering presented in this book? Because you said, made it seem like it like doesn't happen all that often. Yeah, I was caught up in nostalgia, I think. Uh, that was clouding my Were, were you wool gathering? I think I, I was. <laughs> and it's going to turn up a, not a lot. But I think it is in every book. Uh, so I've been going, I've been trying to say like a book ahead of us too and touching on other things in mm-hmm. the series because I want us to go through everything. And yeah, it shows up in Children of Dune. It's going to show up in God Emperor Dune. And I just had the vivid memory of it in Heretics and Chapter House. Um, I think, I, I don't know why I just caught it. Maybe it's because the dialogue that they have about it is so blatant. And in this, it's always sort of like just really, it's like a throwaway phrase almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a little bit of just this glimmer of what it was like when the family arrived on Arrakis. Right, right, right. Coming uh, from the spaceport, because like I said, they've only been here a day. Uh, we know from when uh, they were in the main hall. Mm-hmm. We got that kind of time. They stamp. just touched down. Yeah. And we get this line. Uh, this is Yui talking to Jessica. And he says, so barren after Caladan. And the people, the townswomen we passed on the way here, wailing beneath their veils. The way they looked at us. Now, this is just highlighting that kind of, I, I told you we were going to start seeing a kind of clash of cultures and mm-hmm. traditions coming up. This is sort of the first one uh, where these people are coming in and there are just differences all around them. And they didn't get the reception uh, that I think maybe they, they may have thought they would. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what they would have expected. Wait, what were they expecting? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they. People are furious to some extent. Well, I think there's mixed. Yeah, they're yeah. furious, but there's mixed reception bag. because you always looking outside the window and uh, she goes to see 
Yeah, kind of uh, stands up yeah. next to him, like, what are you looking at? And looks out there. Yeah, and then she starts, like, almost immediately, the pattern presents itself, and she sees what's going on. And it's people walking past... Uh, some date trees. Some date trees. Yeah. Like, all sort of perfectly uh, planted and hewn and separated. And uh, they all have different reactions. I think, what, what was it they described them as? I see hate, I see envy, and I see hope. Man, you are ready. Um, but like no matter what each of them uh rakes the trees with a fixity of obsession mm-hmm. and like that's the pattern and uh you yeah. uh yeah you read the, yeah you, you know says like thinking? oh do you know what they're thinking you profess to read minds um and says they think that there are 100 of us as they stare at those trees those are 100 of us which uh took me a second to be like what <laughs> i don't understand kind of and then did it dawn on you yeah no once you sort of laid it out i'm like oh so it, it's water, because uh, the date palm, they're date palms, which we find out. Mm-hmm. And those require 40 liters of water daily. I didn't know that. That's insane. That's cool. And that one, he's probably dead on on that. Probably. Uh, well, man requires eight. Oh. So then Yui does some quick math for us. Yeah. Five person a palm. What is it? 20 palms out there? Yeah. 100 people. That's crazy. And that in like, that they have to learn to see this. Mm-hmm. This is something that the natives, it's just part of life for them. Like, And like, what, what does it do? Like, that water for them is another day of life that they get to, you know, go out, spend with their families, try and work for another day, mm-hmm. live another day. And the trees just stand there looking pretty. Um, I will tell you, though, there's a... Uh, Yui thinks the people, uh, the ones that look at it with hope, Jessica says she sees some that do look at it with hope, though, mm-hmm. not just hate and envy. And Yui is like, oh, no, they just but hope that a date palm will fall. But it's the wrong season. Is there a right season on Arrakis? Great point. <laughs> like, it's hot and less hot. Um, <laughs> but more to the point, Mike, you came to a conclusion a while back mm. that any small party operator in this book you would never write them off as having the slightest inclination or the lowest order kind of uh, objectives. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm going to tell you that Yui is wrong in what he thinks their hope is manifest as. I think so. You think there's a deeper meaning there? Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, he's, mis- he's underestimating them. Everyone seems to underestimate them, except for Thufir. I think Thufir is like... One of the few people that... Thufir cautiously puts like an asterisk next to it of like, can be expanded upon. (laughs) I'm not going to do it currently, but... put that in the maybe folder. Yeah, exactly. He's like, he's going to leave room for the opportunity. Uh, Duncan Paul, Duncan Idaho, he's got a good perception of them right now. I think based off everything, Paul probably has one too because of just the stories. Like, I think it excites him. Paul has a great openness. Uh, We're going to get to one of the chapter quotations is going to mention that uh, Paul, uh, when he was young, the first thing he learned was how to learn. And that hmm. so many people don't learn that. And I think that's something where Paul is always open to like adjusting information, updating information, and doesn't like recognize absolutes as needing to be like cared for. So mm-hmm. like this whole myth that you know the Fremen are just nobody, whatever, he's like, okay, I'll just take that, but that's probably not an absolute. Or okay. there could be many of them. He's like, yeah, I'll take that. That might not be an absolute either, but we'll wait and we'll see, and he'll act upon it then. Hmm. Uh, but his curiosity is definitely like a, cre- a large driving force. Um, when Jessica looks out that window, there's one other thing she sees besides the palms. What's that? 
a shimmering shield. Oh yeah, so it's like it's a shield for the house. Shield for the house. So there's shield belts and like houses have yeah, shields yeah, too. Y- yeah, like a big generator in the basement. You crank yeah. that thing on, and you can create a house size. That's kind of cool. Um, but it's just emphasizing how different this place is from Caladan. There was never a house shield on Caladan. Mm-hmm. You never needed one. Uh, but that's the kind of life they're moving into. And I think that even separates the people from the date palms. Is that like house shield there? Oh, does it? Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was like. It might It might be just outside the window. Uh, but nonetheless, the barrier is at least there separating her from the people. Right. If not the date palms from the people too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of those things she, uh, she catches it right away. It's light and see. And uh, she's always clocking how different uh, this place is going to be and how much more harsh it is. From that now, world. What is the point of having those date palms there? Just to flex? Yep. Hmm. Always. Damn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what What can I tell you? Rough. Yeah. And just, it's, I mean, it's even harsher on this world where the water equals life. Mm-hmm. There's no other resource like that on Caladan that we could have an equivalent, or even on Harco, for, or Gaiety Prime for that matter, mm-hmm. uh, that you could look so just brutal by having that on display when it would be so innocuous on any other world, mm-hmm. uh, just a plant. Cool. It's like those scenes in movies where like they empty someone's uh, canteen into the desert sand. Like, oh, wouldn't you love this water? <laughs> wouldn't this taste <laughs> great? Um, so uh, getting us back to the end of them looking out the window there with like, oh, you know, the date palm's never going to get them. Never too soon. Jessica is thinking like, uh, we look at this place with too critical of an eye. Mm. And there's hope as well as danger here. The spice could make us rich. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> like she 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 laughs at her own statement. Like, what am I even saying? Yeah, we're the fat treasury. We can make this world into whatever we wish. And then uh, I love her laugh breaks through, and it's like it's brittle when that comes off. And so she's been having a really hard day so far. <laughs> After how many times she had to use, like, we were going into Bene Gesserit discipline just to make it through that conversation with Lido mm-hmm. when he brought up marriage especially. And we're going to get right back to that yeah. in a second. Uh, she goes through a version of the Panoplia Propheticus and, like, navigates a Bene Gesserit minefield <laughs> to get through the other side. <laughs> that is all done before lunch today. <laughs> Now we get in here, uh, which just breaks out, and she's like, you, you can't buy security. <laughs> like, <laughs> what am I doing to myself? Like, not even that, just the idea that, like, oh, like, the, the risk outweighs the, uh, the danger, or something like that. The, or the, the, the other uh, way around, like, the yeah, reward outweighs yeah, the risk. Yeah, the reward uh, outweighs like the Like, that we could potentially come out ahead in all this. Yeah, the, was it, the, uh, the risk outweighs the, or, bah, the reward outweighs... <laughs> Man, <laughs> I, think I'm done with this class. I think you have like Piter's version of the plan, and you just can't get past this. <laughs> Give me that bottle, Derek. <laughs> fill her, fill her, fill back up, Mike. Right. Oh boy, it's gonna be one of those days. So yeah, uh, and then consider also who she is saying this to. To who the one who knows, as a matter of fact, that can't be true. That I have sold you up river, and this is all hopeless. Um, so, like, she's she's hurting herself and him simultaneously in that moment mm-hmm. uh, and not know, realizing it. So I had uh, kind of jumped the gun. This is where we find out Paul. He's kind of on the sedative. Uh, I think she asked if she could go in and see him. Yeah. And he's it's, like, it's Yeah. Like, is Paul in there? It's like, oh, yeah, I gave him a sedative to fall asleep. When I first read that, I don't know why I thought this, but I had, like, the <laughs> like silliest imagery in my head 
of uh, Dr. Yui with one of those like trank guns. Just like, <laughs> just like Tapal's neck. <laughs> a little too excited. Pow. <laughs> I like to imagine he's holding his gun while he says it's like, oh yeah, I just tranked him real quick. <laughs> just just like give him a, a quick sedative. Like a colonialist rifle. He's got a little yeah, exactly. like, English cap on. <laughs> yes. Shot Paul at 300 yards. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because I imagine there's so many red flags in this chapter and Jessica just like breezes by so many of them. That's what I imagine is just like happening blatantly in front of her. She's <laughs> like, oh, it's fine. He's my friend after all. Yeah, yeah. And it is a little like, oh, we, I, I mean, I don't know how to attribute this other than to like, there's got to be something uh, from Frank writing this in a different period where like sedative doesn't sound so alarming or weird. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's just very. You gave a, <laughs> it sounds aggressive, almost. Yeah, yeah. You gave a fifteen-year-old a sedative because <laughs> he was excited. Well, maybe give him a day, dude. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, fifteen-year-olds are always excited. <laughs> just <laughs> he kind of annoyed me. <laughs> I got this chalk on my elbow. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's funny. Jessica, she uh, looks in on him through the door. I think she cracks the door a little. Mm-hmm. And uh, she kind of mal- admires Paul's features. Uh, well, she sees both her and uh, Leto dis- in it. Yeah, a distillation of her and Leto, the kind of uh, genetic variables coming down. It's like her oval face with the harsh uh, geometric figures, or um, yeah, figures of the Atreides, kind of like the lines and the planes. Mm-hmm. The hawk f- features is what I'm looking for. The hawk features that make up their face. Uh, it's black hair, and a uh, little bit that I think I've always missed is that uh, Paul has green eyes, like his mother. Oh. Yeah, I mean, eventually they're going to go blue, but for now they're green. He's got lime green they eyes. They are going to go blue. Yeah. So black hair, green eyes. The guy's a handsome man. So she mentioned she would go in. Uh, she just wants to scoop him up and into her arms mm-hmm. and just hold her side. But with Yui there, it's like, I'm not... I'm- yeah, and it's so it's weird that that I guess it's the nobility aspect. Uh, I mean, she opens up for everything else, and you know, is so informal with him. Well, I mean, that's just name. It's still, yeah. I think, a little different to it, go. It's with. an intimate thing, right? Right. For her to like, yeah, kind of break character yeah. and not be so uh, rigid might be too harsh of a word for how she like composes herself, mm-hmm. but. To let that lax in front of him, she still doesn't feel comfortable for. But Yui's perspective in all of this is a little bit different. Well, I think it's funny that they kind of both have difficulty with each other in the room. <laughs> so she wants to hold her son, but she's like, Yui's here. Uh, Yui's watching her look at her son, and he just thinks of his wife and how they never had children. And like, so he goes and wonders w- why wool wanna, gathering again, I would say. Why Wana never gave him children? And uh, I think you brought up earlier that Wana had difficulty with uh, her loyalty to the Bene Gesserit having such a harsh impact on her marriage. Uh, no, I, I can't say that she had difficulty. Ultimate, Not difficulty, uh, but that, that she chose her loyalty all. inflicted a difficulty upon their marriage. Yes. That, Maybe that's that a better way of wording that. Yeah, yeah. I just wouldn't want to insinuate that she, I don't think she would yeah, have no, uh, I don't want to hesitated a second. Like, she's Bene Gesserit through and through. But yeah. Mm. It definitely sounds like her and Yui had a true and, like, um, loving relationship between them. And then whenever she got this mission, she made that choice and never told him about that's it. The, that's a huge difference between uh, Wana and Jessica right there, though. And uh, it's interesting. So when he's thinking about it, too, uh, Yui, he, being the soup doctor, uh, the first thing he goes is like, there was no physical reason against There's it. There's nothing <laughs> medical about it. I yeah. know that. Uh, so <laughs> he even says, like, as a doctor, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, but was it some Bene Gesserit, Bene Gesserit reason? I think he uh, and, well, he pretty aptly guesses correctly. Yeah, like, the last bit is, uh, and he thought uh, that might uh, 
For the first time, he was caught up in the thought that he might be part of a pattern more involuted and complicated than his mind could grasp. I just, I feel like no one gives Dr. Yui enough credit in all this. He is an incredibly intelligent and wise guy. He's a wise guy. He's a wise guy. Yeah. But no. <laughs> he's just made a decision that's put him on a course that he's not willing to change. He's right. very com- uh, convicted to what he's going to do. Uh, committed, I guess. And... No, it's, he's got conviction. It's to, yeah, to avenge his wife, to figure out the fate of his wife, because there's always a question mark in his mind where I think it's he's going to hold out hope, uh, even though it's in vain. Right. I think not just hope, like the fear that it is true that his wife isn't dead. Right, right. But I I think, uh, well, no, he still always says like, you know, there, there's just that off chance that maybe he could see her again. And yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. That blinding kind of... Uh, drive i think there's there's a line in this chapter where he mm-hmm. uh he even mentions like hang on just one second here oh uh trapped him the old few trapped him in his house of rivalry in this house rivalry killed his wanna or worse left her for harken and tortures until her husband had done their bidding it does say that like like her being alive is worse than her being dead in a weird sense of things yeah which kind of, i mean what we know uh how bad the fate would have been for annette Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah no we already know of, that from gurney's perspective on yeah, things uh and so she in her situation she took uh fell on a knife by choice that mm-hmm. first night uh so i can only imagine wana would have been a more prized um ca- uh, captive that's a bene Gesserit. yeah bene Gesserit. Oh, do you think uh, the tool that you're using to twist this imperial do you think Piter would have had anything to do with that yeah yeah, I think Peter seems like he would enjoy his, torturing a Benny Jesuit with his obsession of Jessica. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, since we which don't, we don't really know all that much about. I yet. was just gonna say since we don't know what that's grounded in. Yeah, I think he we it's safe to for now assume that that could uh, also apply to Wanda. It just that's so Peter. That's all I'm saying. Maybe he didn't get to finish whatever he started. Oh, some sick and terrible experiment. Oh God. Yeah, we'll get there though. Uh, not there, there, but we'll get. To, <laughs> we'll, we'll get to Piter. Uh, all right, he's not done yet. We'll see what that cool cat's all about. <laughs> um, where does that uh, put us off? So um, that puts us back up to you oh, uh, and giving children. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I be, actually, I love the transition out of this. Gets way more upbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're looking at contemplating yeah. why Yui doesn't have kids. Oh, my God. Uh, and then they just remark on the blissful sleep of a child. <laughs> Jessica's just saying, like, how, how easy they sleep. Like, not a care in yeah. the world. Uh, and then I think it's like, when do we lose it? Dude, I think everyone asks that. Oh, yeah. When you just see a little. Uh, so I have a little nephew who's two years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've gone to my brother's house. And when you see him just, like, slung over a couch. But, like, <laughs> you know, he's only half on, half off. But just as comfortable as can be. When I'm like, if I was like that, I would wake up so sore and just, like, dilapidated. I think that's how I prefer to sleep, actually. <laughs> just just yeah. wherever the winds blow yeah. you. In a slinky state. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Uh, and then they wake up and bounce right to it uh, <laughs> like nothing ever happened. So Paul is having that kind of amazing sleep. And when Yui, he says, like, when do we lose it? And he sort of ponders. And he has this odd tone that Jessica catches. Mm-hmm. And that is, again, always going to point out her Bene Gesserit training. That's right. got to be what's perking up in her. But her mind is distracted. And she's thinking about Paul. And mm-hmm. that is a sort of a trump card of a thought. Because she just sort of like 
pushes uh, Yui thing aside. We've already clocked it as embarrassment. It doesn't need to be. Because she's um, not going to dive into it further if she already assumes she knows the cause of it. Yeah, it's not, not a concern. Um, and if she was a mentat, though, you think she had the numbers would be crunched. I think that's why Paul is just going to be such a formidable individual to deal with in these books because he has all of these schools within him. Mentat Duke is very formidable. The fact that Leto doesn't even he leaves out Benage. Yeah, why? Oh. Why? <laughs> that's a, that's the secret. He doesn't even want him to know he's that good of a Duke. <laughs> uh, Jessica and them. She looks out another window. Uh, we're always looking out windows. And, yeah, almost. Uh, and is it every chapter now? It's big. Except, except <laughs> no. for Harko. There was no windows in that room. That's right. So since Harko, though, in the chapter one, yeah, we looked out a window in every chapter. And we're going to get the same effect we did last time. Because I believe we looked out in the Great Hall. And uh, mm. we had that darker atmosphere. And we were talking about how uh, even in these northern latitudes, like it just is like black yeah. out there. And uh, that's much the same thing here. And Jessica mentions it, like it's so dark. And Yui tells her why it's dark, uh, where there's just there's not mo- moisture in, in the air. Mostly a lack of moisture, which I something I never really considered before. Is that like... Uh, it would uh, scatter, I think, the lights. Yeah, you know, refraction there. Yeah, like that's why our sky's blue. Right, right, blue, right, right, because of yeah. all of the moisture. Okay, that makes sense. Um. And uh, just oh, we get into the water, yeah, the whole mystery yeah. of water. Well, and that's right before that. Let's, let's oh. let Jessica vent this out a little bit because we need to keep getting this off our all chest. Right, all and right, she's just like everything comes down to water. She and hates it, that it's gonna keep happening. I mean, even what was Shadow Mapes' uh title, Mike? Shout, wait, Shout Out Mapes, yeah, the Shadow. Oh, oh, what? Uh, the Well Dipper, Well Dipper. What does that water. mean? Uh, that's a title of very not very high, but pretty high prestige in the Fremen CH. Which is like their base, sort of, so to speak. Did you say C-H? C-H. C-H. I will wait for it in I, the audio book. Ah, okay. <laughs> or for the glossary game. So, no, yeah. I don't think so. I think you know what <laughs> no, it is. Oh, no, you think I got it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, in C-H. You played your um, hand. So again, like the people that handle water, that is a responsibility not given to many. Right. Uh, it's one of great Great power. trust and responsibility mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah, then we get into the precious mystery of Arrakis, Mike. Why don't you, you want to outline this for me? All right. So there's little moisture in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says that there's very little water despite volcanic sources. And I'm, I'm, I don't know enough about geology and how volcanic, uh, activity and water are closely related. Do you know anything about that? Um, I don't. And, uh, well, volcanic rock, what, is very porous to get, it uh, is porous. Can, to get good. Uh, I think it's the fact that it's moving and churning through that it would affect, like, water tables maybe in some way. Do you think that heat might have to do with, like, pushing water up or something? Yeah. Or I don't know. Maybe indicative of water in the system. There's, there's some sort of relationship there that we are not quite aware of. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's irrelevant to, like, the rest of what we're about to learn anyways. That there's polar ice caps. We knew that from the globe. Yep. A little bit of the globe, the, yeah. uh, the Baron was spinning, these little diamonds on the top. Yeah, so we know there's polar ice caps, but uh, that that seems to be it. Like, they, they can't drill in the desert because worms will come eat people. <laughs> and the storms will just destroy everything before they can even be set up anyways. Yeah, uh, we're going to learn very quickly as we get further in the book. Uh, they always refer, beyond just the sand, there's like a dust is a problem. So it's the really fine particles that are blown everywhere. That they just get through everything. Like mm. your your tightest seams and filters, like they'll get through slowly. And you just have dust build up. Uh, so anywhere where there's like a filter or an engine running or anything like that, the whole thing just gets filled really? with dust. Yeah, right quicker. We'll just wow. shut it right down. 
and that uh, they've got wells, but they they're drying up. Mm-hmm. They always dry up. And it's like, it, here's like the sort of the big mystery part is that they all do it the same way. First, there's a trickle and then there's nothing. And then it happens to like the next well that they do and then the next well that they do. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it's, uh, it dries up and never again is there water. Yet another hole nearby produces the same result. A trickle that stops. Has no one ever been curious about this? I'm sure everyone... I'm curious about it, Derek. Yeah, I mean, we know for a fact there is an imperial planetologist. I bet he's a little curious about this. Well, Dr. Kynes, right? Dr. Kynes. All right. Uh, yeah, I'd love to... Oh, I don't know when or if we meet him. I feel like we oh, have no, to meet him. Because he's the judge of the change. So He's got yeah. a very formal role in this whole proceeding. Dude, does he actually say anything on the water when we meet him? Because I would love to know Ooh. his perspective on uh, things. I mean, we'll see it when we get there. All right. Yeah. Um, we will have like uh, an extended time with Dr. Ryan's. Right. Jessica suspects that something's plugging up the water. Yeah. Then Which he, is, I don't know, sounds kind of weird. Kind of, but this is, I think, uh, the only use of the word alien in this book. Oh, yeah, like She's some alien, like... Uh, alien plant matter. Right. Uh, dot, 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 animal. Uh, and she seems very sure that that's, yeah, plugging it up. But, like, they take core samples, though. And uh, Yui asks, like, wouldn't something show up there? Jessica responds, like, w- they wouldn't know what they're looking for, so what would they see? Which that I find confusing. No, I mean, I guess if they... Uh if there was some sort of uh, like plant matter, like buried deep within the sands and cores that like, if they, it's like a drain, like if enough stuff gets in the way of the drain, like it does plug up the water. If you could imagine that some sort of like alien plant life was doing that, that's like feasible. Right. But if they drill down and they bring out a core sample, wouldn't, why aren't they able to see that? If that's what's happening. That's fair. That's fair. Maybe it's a wily plant. Yeah. That's like the one weird thing where I think even like uh where Jessica rebutting that they just wouldn't understand what they're seeing. Like, I find that hard to, like, it would be something different than rock, would it not? Uh, and then you go, oh, that might be it. Or at least, uh, yeah, something atypical in that core sample. It's strange, though, so they've never found anything in all their time doing this. Um, and Yui brings up a really cool uh, possibility. Oh. Of a hearkening cover-up. That they know, like, they're responsible for the lack of water. Well, so, like, we know the part, one of the Harkonnen cover-ups was uh, how badly the Fremen were a thorn in their side while they were on a raft. Oh, right. Because they were getting raided all the time. So you think maybe the Harkonnens know and aren't sharing that information. I just think it's a really cool one that Yui uh, posits out there. Mm. Uh, honestly, that seems more likely. I'm trying to look at this just from your perspective for right now, because mm. this is one of the great things that I'm totally not spoiling for you. Okay, cool, cool, uh, cool. Like, water on Arrakis, that's up to you. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right, I'll get the yarn. <laughs> okay, another board going. <laughs> There's seven boards. <laughs> they all start with water. <laughs> um... And uh, we get a cool phrase, which I liked, uh, where they mention at the end, kind of like, we are definitely behind the Harkonnen veil. Mm, I, I put that down as well, and that was just so sad. Yeah. It's uh, like, oh. I got reminiscent of, like, Iron Curtain. I wonder if where he pulled that from, or if the veil is used in any other uh, historical context like that. But I love this idea of just being behind enemy lines is how right. they all feel right now. Well, I think that also means something different for him, too, like in the context of what he's saying to Jessica and like what he's actually saying about his current situation mm-hmm. and that he is sort of like trapped in that veil. Yeah. 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 The, I mean, Yui himself lives behind it. Uh, yeah. Currently. Yeah. Uh, and at this point, 
He says that with hatred in his voice. Yeah, was it? Uh, that was like almost immediately. Like he stops what he's saying and notices Jessica's looking right at him. Like, what'd you just say? <laughs> like, I can see that. Yeah, in my head too. I'm like, so we've had Jessica. Like, she flies by that first thing that pops up. Yeah, when yeah, yeah. Catch up. And with this one, Yui's sort of lost. Turns to look at her and just that face, those, <laughs> those Bene Gesserit eyes looking at He's you. Like, what? What is it? And in his head, he goes, "Great mother." Aroused <laughs> oh, her suspicion. Yeah, she says, "Like you say that with like such venom. Like not even the Duke said their name like that." He's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> He's like, "Now I must use every trick my Wana taught me. There's only one solution. <laughs> There's only one <laughs> trick she taught me." <laughs> If you you read those one after the other, you could come to that conclusion. (laughs) There's only one. Tell the truth as far as I can. Yeah, and that's that's what we were talking about earlier. He has to just tell the truth. Mm. Because, I mean, I guess you could even trick a truth sayer if you 100% believe what you're saying is true. Ooh, uh, that's a fair distinction. We're talking about how you would lie to a truth sayer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you don't need to be that precise with uh, Jessica. But I guess the I get the point is that Yui is going to treat her like one, right? Since Wana was, he's going to be careful, mm-hmm. cautious. Everything's on the line. Yeah, and he does it pretty well. Uh, so he decides uh, he's going to bring up Wana, mm-hmm. and this lets his grief just overwhelm. Because yeah, it evokes a physical response that he can't control. Mm-hmm. It's a true emotion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it like it must cover up all of his other nervous tics. Mm-hmm. Uh, anywhere sideways well, glances. Well, yeah, it or, says uh, he he even tries to say it like you didn't know that my wife, my wana, shrugged, unable to speak, past a sudden constriction in his throat. They, and then the words would not come out. He felt panic, closed his eyes tightly, experiencing the agony in his chest, and little else, until a hand gently touched his arm. Wow. So he did that on purpose to basically shut his body down. Which and so that is a, a good inverse. We always have our juxtaposed dualities. My mm. uh, Jessica last chapter was using her Bene Gesserit training to subdue these kind of reactions. Right. Uh, we recall her face being held immobile mm-hmm. for that moment, and now you have Yui doing the opposite of just letting emotions take him over uh, for a very similar reason to create a mask and to hide oneself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jessica, she doesn't catch any of this. She falls right for it. Yui plays her very well, uh, which he's had. Well, it's not just a matter of catch this. Like, there's nothing to catch. I think he sells it pretty well. He d- executes it. There, But there's like, uh, I think a pattern of minutia you could follow back to find out what he did. You think so? Yeah. Like, if she would have just considered, if she would stop and replay this entire conversation. I think she would see these kind of things. <laughs> see all the red flags around. Yeah, yeah. But like you have to start from that first one where like mm-hmm. if you jump in the midway, yeah, she's always going to be swayed and uh, kind of follow what he's presenting. Mm. But I, I just give her like, uh, you know, we said uh, in the quote of last chapter that her skills are like unparalleled. Uh, they're always underestimated. She's got something brewing underneath her, this sort of like quasi Kwisatch Haderach power, if you will, mm. uh, just being the mother of that line. And Yui, uh, so I think it's right. Is it after she kind of calms him that uh, he says the line of, it will take more than a trap to catch Duke Leto? Yeah. And he's not lying. He knows that's true. Yeah. How the balls to say that to her face and knowing you are the more than a trap. That is crazy. I don't know why he would risk that one. 
Uh, but it is also like a little reassuring. Um, it just mentions that, you know, they've been uprooted and placed in hostile soil, uh, which is interesting to use a metaphor of a plant. Right. And then they, they, they talk about the, the idea, like, is it really hostile? And then they talk about, um, sort of their security a bit, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. This is going to lead us into that, uh, that water riots that were happening. Mm. Oh yeah. So when they when uh when they got off the transports and everything, they, we said that the like the the veiled individuals were all like sort of like shouting at them and shouting a wailing, wailing. There was like some sort of perception there to meet them. So we're learning that there were water riots. There were. And it sounds like these uh had stopped before today. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they stopped yesterday or something. Whenever they installed these wind traps, but essentially the populace was furious with how many people the Atreides were bringing down here. Uh, which must give us a little insight to how many the Harkonnens had to. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe there was far less. Uh, they didn't care about bringing their whole house there. Maybe they ran on like sort of a skeleton crew. Um, but once they let them know they were going to install new wind traps, new condensers to just bring in more water and sort of even out the books, so to speak. Right. That uh, brought everything back down to normal. Uh, and I think uh, Yui ends this like... But the Duke has solved this. It doesn't follow that riots mean pers- uh, permanent hostility towards him. It's true. So he's always trying to like assuage this a little bit. So the wind traps, that's the primary way they get water. Yes, it is. They catch the moisture in the atmosphere. Is that it? Or the air? Yeah, in the air. Uh, so you imagine like a uh, wind blowing into some sort of uh, filter system. Like when you exhale any like bits of water. Yep. Uh, they have these really cool, there's like a material um, that... Uh, these for like a dew collector and I believe it is clear during the day and then when there's not light it becomes opaque uh, hmm. or something like that somewhere to use like the natural uh, to collect the water and like pull the heat out of the air or pull the energy out of the air so it, the water condenses onto it and then the surface is like completely frictionless so no water sticks to it and all just like whoop, swoops down in is this an actual thing you're talking about, or is this the wind trap that you're talking this about? This is like the material for the wind trap. Oh, okay. uh, and like uh, specifically like a dew collector. Um, they talk about it. It's like, uh, I think in children are doing, they bring it up for like, the, it's put by plants and it will sort of like sit over the plant and help like drop it in. Uh, oh, but all, keep them watered. Sort yeah, of naturally. all this technology for Arrakis is sort of like, uh, it's water-based. Well, it's specific for Arrakis. <laughs> like, yeah. It's development uh, is all from here. And so all these machines sort of share a family of technology, if you mm-hmm. will. Uh, then condensers are obviously just going to uh, turn that into water, the gas into right, water. Right, right. Uh, bringing it down. Um, I think we even mentioned seeing some wind traps uh, in some chapter where, like, they're looking out and they're sort of, like, off on a hill, uh, these large structures. Okay. So life here, very different from Caladan, uh, just again. This is so much more security than we're ever used to now. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, everyone has been, like, hired by Thufir to, like, himself. Yeah, it's his guards, his agents, his men, his everything. Uh, and I think we're just, uh, the number of them that you're seeing is just a more alarming thing now. And we realize he's been uh, doing a lot of bribing or attempting to bribe. Yeah, Jessica says there are large sums of money missing from uh, the coffers, and that can mean only one thing. Where Thufir Hawa goes, death and deceit follow. 
Yeah. Love that line. That's really scary. And uh, he was like, you malign him. Like, mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I praise him. <laughs> Death and deceit are only hopes now. That's really funny. I just don't fool myself about Thufir's methods. Uh, so we- I just, I love Thufir and Lady Jessica don't really like care for one another. Yeah, that's what I was Like, there's, at all. Well, there's like, a, I'm, I mean, respect Jeff Lee, Jessica I mean, to him. I was, not so much the other way. Yeah. Uh, but we did get, we know there's that appreciation and through fear for like when uh, Guy's Helma Hayam told Paul he had to relearn. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, yeah, she's right on that. <laughs> like, there is some appreciation to their logic. I think that through fear would definitely own up to. Um, but his distrust of Jessica is like, uh, it makes sense why the Harkonnens are going to play off of that mm-hmm. or want to go with that angle. Because we're already seeing that manifest from both of them. There's Assuming that antagonism. We've, we've learned this information through spies, probably maybe even Dr. Yui. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Uh, depending on however big of a player he was in this. Um, and Yui, he tells her to like, uh, just keep busy and keep your mind from it. <laughs> just like, you need a distraction. Why don't you get a hobby? <laughs> and this is one of those moments where we get to stand by Jessica and just go, I'm so sorry you have to deal with these people. Uh, <laughs> like she needs someone to tell her to keep busy. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't realize she acted as a secretary. Yeah. She's essentially like business manager. Right. I did not realize that. And she has a almost vicious thought. Uh, vicious might not be the right word, but of just questioning Leto's motivations. For it's mi- for like it's a very bitter and insecure moment. I think that's a good description. Yeah. For it. Yeah. And, uh, just thinking, like, did he choose me just so I could... Well, she just got out of, like, this sort of kerfuffle back in the uh, the previous room where they were unpacking the bowl head and portrait and talking with the Duke about that. Like, right. she was not happy. And, yeah. like, I think her mind is still on that, and that's why she's ignoring a lot of the, like, uh, obvious flags in this room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's got Paul on her mind. She's got this argument she just had with Leto. The thing with Mapes, I think, is even bigger than both of those. <laughs> yeah. Remember. Because uh, it keeps well, mentioning well, that well, she we feels. we did gloss over. Yeah. We, as I said, we glossed over twice. She yeah. feels that Chris She knife. feels the Chris knife on her bodice. And uh, how what, what, how did she re- uh, phrase it? It's Well, she feels it. And then about a couple paragraphs later, we say that when she's looking out the window, the like uh, milky color is similar to the blade of the Chris knife. That the sun is like no, no, she, the sky. No, she says something else, though. Oh, it's yeah. It's right here. Um, she says, uh, she hugged herself, pressing the sheathed Chris knife against her flesh, thinking of the unfinished business it represented, and then says, there'll be much bloodshed soon. Oh. Like. That's intense. Yeah, that's friggin' intense. I'm just like a side thought. Yeah. Uh-huh. Put a, put a pin in that one, Jessica. Gonna come right back to it. <clears throat> but, uh, it, it's funny, because even in this, uh, now the Dr. Yui's in, like, let's go truth mode, because, like, I'm riding a razor's edge right now. Mm-hmm. When she says that thought about, like, did like questioning the Duke's motives. Yui rebukes her. Yeah, he rebukes he, her. It uh, comes naturally to him pretty quickly. I'm just like those words. That's not worthy. A worthy thought. It's not a worthy thought, and it was true because he's seen how the Duke looks at her, mm. and I think a part of that is because it's the same way that he looked at Wana. Mm, yeah, because I th- I do think he sees a lot of Wana in Lady Jessica. Yeah, not necessarily in like the personality types, but just in like their way of thinking. Bene Gesserit, their kind of exactly. position. Yeah. Um, definitely you'll see a lot of mannerisms are probably the same from that school training. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, yeah, the th- fact of the Duke looking at her all the time, and then that really undermines the fact that we know the Duke to be two different people at once. Yeah. He is this cold man, and he is this loving man. He is the Duke, and he is the husband. And he compartmentalizes he is, yeah. those very well. 
Well, I don't know about very well. I think he does it to the best of his ability. I mean, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I think he does it <laughs> fairly thorough. I think there's a really sharp distinction between the two, and he switches modes, it seems. Mm, but uh, I think he forgets to switch modes. He uses the wrong one, perhaps. Yeah, when he <laughs> yeah. Uh, cleared his throat and just turned around and laughed and yelled at Mapes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's the jerk of a duke. Oh, boy. Um, we also get a little, uh, little tease of how the dukes... Uh, well, I guess uh, this is more about the old feud. Yeah, and so we, we learn about this, too. This is the, the moment we learn that Leto is a cousin of the royal blood, mm-hmm. and by that, the emperor. Yes. So, and that's where we first learned that. And yep. uh, So, like, previously, I had just told you that. Yeah, you just told me that. Yeah. So that, that was pretty cool to find out. But uh, we when also it, learned that the Harkonnen titles came out of the Chome pocketbook. Mm-hmm. So they are not of royal blood in any sense. They paid for their title. And which makes me think that's got to be the why he is a baron and not like a duke or a count. Right. Ah, so that's interesting. I, I, w- I would love to know like how the uh, titles are distinctly different from one another, like a list of everything. Is that somewhere in the encyclopedia, maybe? It's, it's not. And we get a lot of different titles. So, uh, for example, uh, Duke Leto is a Siradar Duke. And uh, Siradar is going to be taken from... Uh, the language I might have wrong, I've attributed it to Persian, but it was in that group that uh, was in Chechnya uh, that I keep referencing in right. Sab- Sabres of Paradise. And it meant like regional governor. That was their word for You're, it. I feel like I got to read this book now because this is the third time you've brought this up. Yeah, I'll, I'll get two copies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that I, we're seeing that kind of mash of Western and Eastern culture together in that. Mm. Uh, and you're getting like a governor duke. So I, I don't know how Baron lines up with that where I feel like, I mean, I attribute Baron to like a Western aristocracy. So I don't know what that would mean to like a Persian, uh, or oh, like, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. into a kingdom like that. That's a good point actually. Uh, so that's, that's the only thing that I would question. I'm not sure of, but at least from this, we're going to draw that, uh, that is what the distinction for Baron Baron seems like it's like lesser, but on a somewhat equal so, level, like higher than a count still. Maybe we discussed that the Baron like respects the, the royalty and the noble blood. He's jealous. Yeah. I was going to say, do you think he's jealous of the Duke because he has that Royal blood? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man. It's not just the popularity. It's just everything about Duke Leto. The Baron just hates. And then we throw this old feud into the mix, which we're about to learn about. Yeah, so the Harkonnens were banished for cowardice after the Battle of Korra. And we mentioned this at some point. I, I think I've uh, probably butchered this more than anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, in, like, bringing it up, because... Uh, I attribute it to the battle uh, to the Butlerian Jihad, and it's not that. It's after the Butlerian Jihad. This is the moment when, like, the royal family is, or the imperial family is established, essentially. It was the Battle of Corin, which I think you did say. Yep. Yeah, that I, w- I, that I was right on. I knew the planet where it takes place in, uh, and that becomes the seat of the imperial power. And this may be one of those things where, like, we were talking about how history is just sort of an altered version of what really happened, just our best way that we can, like, translate it or describe mm-hmm. based off of what we know. According to everyone in these houses, it's because uh, one of the older Atreides family members had a Harkonnen banished for cowardice after this battle. Mm -hmm. We discussed sort of in this battle, it was the Harkonnen. Man, how did you describe it? I think. Well, confusingly, we did talk about there was another fight, the one that Leto was involved in, which was very similar. Oh, did we confuse those? Well, no, we didn't in the moment. But I'm thinking right now, if you're trying to reflect back, you might be. But in that one, Leto decides not to execute a battle plan. Because there was an error in the plan that he caught. 
And then the Harkonnens get wiped out. Oh, that, that was how Duke Leto sort of got to his power. Yes, that was how okay. he started building his round. In the Battle of Corrin, so taking you way back. Way and, back. Um, I believe it was that they uh, were attacking. The Harkonnen commander pulled his fleet back for some reason out of the battle. Oh. And the Atreides, though, saved the day and rallied whatever, saved this flank and won the battle. And that that was the moment where they earned their prestige. And then okay. somehow they blamed that Harkonnen afterwards. That's really funny then if that's if that's like how this feud started. Mm-hmm. That uh, and I guess even more reason the Baron hates Duke Leto is like the uh, the opposite situation occurs where the Baron charges in with everyone else. And Duke Leto's like, nah. Yeah. He's like, actually, whoa, whoa, not the Baron. Baron doesn't go into war. Well, no. Okay. The He's Baron's like, forces that yeah. he orders well, to go I, well, in. Specifically, I think the it might have been the Beast Raban at that point. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it might have been like uh, the one he was trained to be his like heir at that point before he was like, not that kid. <laughs> He's a little too intense. We'll, we'll try the next one. Uh, but I'm not sure how many years ago, uh, time-wise, that is, hmm. uh, to line up with Raban. No, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like um, their uh, their relationship with one another always. I always want to just like circle back to it and see like why is there such hatred there? Because like just my grandpa hated your grandpa is never enough for enough. me. No, I know. Ultimately, you. I wish we could stop everything. Get the Baron on a highliner. Bring him over to Arrakis. <laughs> just put these two in a room and like <laughs> let's just talk it out, guys. Uh, we'll get guys hell behind to uh, be the mediator. mediator. Uh, it would be great because she's a truth sayer too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but. That's not gonna. That sounds like work, Derek. Not gonna come to pass, and very expensive. So um, there is an irony in that this death trap of a planet is also the giver of life of all spice and melange in the universe. Yeah, and that Yui hates this feud. He feels trapped by this feud, mm-hmm. and it's this feud is the reason that he has to do this terrible thing. That he has this burden. Isn't that interesting? Having that thought that. Um, you know, all those tens of thousands of years ago, somebody made a choice and that that dictates the course of Yui's life on top of that. Yeah. It just has such an effect that he can't avoid it. Uh, much like how the Duke was snared by history. So is Dr. Yui. Poor dude. And uh, he sort of just changed. Like once he says about that, uh, talks about the irony with Melange and everything, he's thought sort of change a bit and, uh, Lady Jessica asked him what he's thinking, and he was thinking uh, about the current price of Solari on the open market. <laughs> just sort of, why not? <laughs> let's just change gears, uh, which is huge, actually. So I don't really, I don't think we touched on it, and we might have, and I just forgot, and that bottle there is to blame for it. But Solari, like, it's hard to distinguish what one Solari equals as, like, what is it to, like, the euro or the U.S. dollar? Mm-hmm. Like what? Like how close do we assimilate that to our current market? Ooh, well, uh, so that's a decagram of spice. Is this uh, size six hundred twenty thousand solari? Yeah, that's a lot of solari. But how many? Like, so we know that a handful of spice can buy you a house on two on, pile. On two pile. How much do you think a house is? I <laughs> two pile. I'm gonna say it's one to one. I'm thinking think a so? house. Well, you got to get outside the empire. Okay, limited real well, estate. That's not just the real estate. It's the purchase of the Highliners' use, the Spacing Guild. So, like, that's got to be. I'm assuming it's a package deal. A package deal. Yeah, yeah. The guild's not gonna. They, <laughs> They've got coupons. It's the last time they're charging you. You're gonna pay one <laughs> fee. 
because they're dropping you off. I'm thinking it's a dollar a dollar and that you could expect to pay 1.9 million to live on the outskirts of the Imperium, free from the Frau Freluchus class system. And it's not your house, is it? Or your? I mean, it just said you could buy a house on Topile. I don't know what that means. Like, no, I mean, like it's not your entire house goes with you, or is it? Oh, or is it just you? Like, peace out, guys. Ooh, I don't. I think it's like, yeah. I think you take your retainers and like, mm. like I think Gurney would be going and the lieutenants. I don't know if they would be happy with that. I'd follow the Duke anywhere. Oh man. Uh, okay. Strange. That didn't really get where I wanted, but I'm gonna sorry. Say food for thought. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, what kind of things on Tupile are there, do you think, for like animals and plants that you can sort of be self-sustaining if you don't have the Spacing Guild constantly bringing things? Uh, well, I mean, it's still a planet. Like, it's going to have a, a life cycle of its own. And mm. that, I feel like that would be somewhat sustainable. I mean, you say that, but Arrakis is pretty rough. Yeah, well, that's why you don't... They chose <laughs> the safety world, all okay. right? They weren't like, it's the only safety world. This is the only spice world. We okay. were stuck with Arrakis. All right, all right. I, I would imagine it's probably like a goddamn paradise. I was just curious. <laughs> um, with a lot of just... I wonder if they restructure into another feudal system since they all used to be dukes. Like, everybody used uh, to be somewhat <laughs> higher up. <laughs> it's like the, it's like the Admiral's Lounge. <laughs> they just tip their hat, duke. 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 Um, so this is where we uh, finally get a de facto description of spice, which I've told you countless times. Mm-hmm. But uh, they talk about what it tasted like uh, the first time you've ever had it. Cinnamon. Cinnamon. And then never the same twice. Your body learns a reaction to something that it likes and something that's good for it. Or no, that's what people attribute it to. Mm-hmm. That, uh, it, what did they call it? A uh, learned flavor reaction. Yeah. Where if you learn that something's good for you, uh, eventually your body starts to take that taste as, oh, it tastes good. Yeah. But like not necessarily attribute it to a specific flavor itself. The flavor, just that yeah. the euphoric, this is good well, for me. Well, it's sort of a mix of them both. Uh, where I think it, it is the nature of the spice mm-hmm. combined with your body's reaction. Okay. Spice is truly unique and different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that like the fact that it never is the same twice is I so really weird. want to learn more about spice. wouldn't that I would just love to have something that was like that. Uh, oh, maybe we can uh, we can make some cinnamon dessert somehow. And uh, no, no, but just to have a in uh, like an ingredient like that. We have not, you know, there's just no equipment. It's called Old Bay. Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It exists. It's, <laughs> it's delicious on everything. Oh, God. <laughs> Fair enough. Um. But uh, I, I just love that we get that little thing. Uh, why he landed on cinnamon. Um, it is just a pungent odor. Maybe he just liked cinnamon. Yeah, yeah, it and just... it does have a very strong aromatic uh, mm-hmm. factor to it. Yeah. And uh, we're going to have so many, maybe right around Christmas time. It isn't like, that's the one. <laughs> that's just what it was around him. Um, Jessica. Maybe believable too, because it sort of looks like sand, if you think. The color. Yeah, yeah the red color. Yeah, it's yeah. like kind of dead on. Uh, yeah, it looks really cool when a uh, spice blast or a mm-hmm. spice blow is over the dirt. Um, she starts mentioning to Yui, uh, kind of reveals what we speculated on last time, where the Duke and Jessica have been having an argument or a conversation many times mm-hmm. for the past couple months. And she says, like, well, she just wanted them to go renegade. Yeah. Should have just done it. Should have gone to two pile. Should have bought that house for 1.9 mil. Would have been awesome. And, uh, yeah, Yui notices that, like, she's not really listening to him anymore. She's sort of in her own head, and it's like, oh, I should go with this. I should ride with this. <laughs> like, this is definitely my opportunity. <laughs> Yui sees it. 
And Yui strikes. He says, like, can I ask a personal question? And, you know, I mean, she, I mean, they did establish, like, informalities, but he's still, like, this is still kind of a rough question to ask uh, the primary concubine and secretary of the Duke. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so she, he, he just asks it, like, why did she never make the Duke marry her? Mm-hmm. And, and that, that wording, very precise, make him. Why didn't you make Again, it? he knows the Benny Jesuit and what they're capable of. Yeah, yeah, he understands what the voice is. Um and I got uh she says no, she shrugged. <laughs> There's good political reason just talking about if why the Duke didn't marry her in general. As long as my Duke remains unmarried, and this just sounds like she is regurgitating this line she, she is, said so many her times. Her first initial reaction isn't just like no, it's more like it's startled. Because mm-hmm. that's, I think, maybe a thought that she had even, like, considered herself. And she asked herself why. We already know the answer. She will never trick him. Right. She, she made that promise to herself. And that she will go ahead and argue uh, futilely. Yeah. Or futilously. Yeah, futilely. Yeah, futilely. Um, just to remind herself and prove to herself that she will not use, uh, like, trickery or Betty Jesuit means to, like, alter his mind mm-hmm. and decision. Yeah, and I think it's uh, significant, too, that that is for her, not for him. Right. When she does those exercises, kind of just to remind herself. Um, And in her regurgitation of this, like, uh, you know, political marriage, yada, yada, she sighs in the middle of it and then continues on. Yeah. She's like, oh, my God, this thing, it weighs on her so much. Motivating people, forcing them to your will, gives them a cynical attitude towards humility or humanity. It degrades everything it touches. If I made him do this then it would be uh then it would not be his doing mm-hmm. i like to imagine like when uh when jessica starts going into this like thought process you is just like yes i did it <laughs> like she's on her in her own head again i'm doing yeah, it and i mean that is entirely what we know he meant to do yeah like he saw her on the edge and just pushed her over he goes back to that chalkboard and puts a little tally on the yui side <laughs> <laughs> like i'm doing it <laughs> Just like his big plan. <laughs> he just written it all in chalk. Oh, glad she didn't go. <laughs> one of those chalkboard slides in front of the other one. Yeah. Yui's secret plan. <laughs> um, Yui remarks uh, that it's something so similar to what Wana would have said. Mm. Uh, and I think you, you really touched on that he's projecting a lot of Wana onto Jessica. And I think this is, uh, this is actually a moment of weakness for him. Like he almost like can't contain it anymore he almost fills that secret like i think he's mentioned a couple times that like why is it so hard to hate these people Mm -hmm. like he he loves this family and this house and he wants to be a part of it but it's his wanna comes first yeah and when we talked about imperial conditioning um a lot of it it's or rather all of it is just um sort of social conditioning and behavior conditioning done from childhood up and it makes it so that whoever you are assigned to, you love them and could never inflict harm on them and just idolize them. And so the implication is that they, uh, Harkonnens, were able to shift his allegiance where it should be on the Atreides he loved most. But now it's It was on, Wana that he loves yeah. most. So by manipulating the Wana thing, and I think these are the moments where we see that sort of... Um, uh, how much he loves both of them in kind of competition. And mm-hmm. if like the Atreides ever inched out ahead of Wana, that would undo this sort of like binding. And right. He's fighting that. And it's sort of like an urge and in flux. And the, this is a, this is the precipice where he almost switches. Yeah. He wants to so bad. 
And he is about to, and then Jessica sort of speaks up and continues. Mm-hmm. And we get that Duke as a duality of a man again. Yeah. And uh, this one, chapter kind of closes out. Uh, I am going to want to read that whole last paragraph. I love sure, it. the yeah. last paragraphs always leave us with a great yeah. line. Um, uh, Herbert was very good at ending the chapter. It's like, like a great, uh, yeah, for, a yeah. good beat to leave off on. Mm-hmm. Cliffhangers that are revealing in other ways mm-hmm. too. Like they always show you something inside that. Character. I, again, I don't know if it's a cliffhanger though. I think it's more of like he just knows like a powerful beat and how to end on it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll I'll, I'll explain what I mean then uh, right when we get okay. to it. Let me just say uh, this one last bit though is um, we have Jessica. She's leaving this whole quarter of the house at mm-hmm. this point, uh, which is weird for how much she was so worried about Paul. Yeah. Uh, that she's kind of once she sees him, sways it down. And she's going to go back to inspecting those rooms, uh, which I just think is her like switching back to that normal course of action of just like putting all this away. And she strides outside the room and Jessica dropped her arms, crossed to the hall door and stood there a moment, hesitating and then let herself out. All the time we talked, he was hiding something, holding something back. She thought to save my feelings. No doubt. He's a good man. Again, she hesitated almost turned back to confront Yui and drag the hidden thing from him. But that would only shame him, frighten him to learn he's so easily read. I should place more trust in my friends. And I I guess I say cliffhanger, tacking on that we know the betrayal part. I know, no, cliff, I don't think that's what I would dictate a cliffhanger. It's like something happens and we don't know how it resolves. Don't don't know how it resolves. This is more of just like, that was the entire conversation was about like these two parties. It's a ramp up of intrigue. Yeah, okay, but I don't say that, I don't think that's a cliffhanger. Yeah, I'm I'm yielding that to you, Mike. I'm walking away from the cliffhanger. Uh, like, Cliff, no one's hanging on. <laughs> Walk away. It's just a step. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, that he, he leaves it kind of questioning, and we get that last bit where we're kind of yelling after Jessica, like, "Go back in that room. <laughs> get in there. Never be embarrassed. Uh, you are the lady of the house. It, it just feels super cliche. I should place more trust in my friends." Mm-hmm. Like not, not right now. This is the one moment in your life where you should not. We should question everything. She broke off her sort of uh, responsibilities to the Benny Gesserit for an inkling of a feeling. You wouldn't think that, like in this exact moment, I've got an inkling of a feeling. I should probably go in and confront him. Well, inkling of a feeling was specifically that Paul could be about the Quizash Hadarak. There is more to that decision than just that. <sighs> I think remember three hours with the Duke. We don't know what happened. That was when that decision was made. Still, Derek. Nine months later, we got baby Paul. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. She's she's impressive. Um, there's something I didn't mention, though, that I got to go all the way back to the beginning what? of the chapter four. Uh, oh, this is a really small thing I want to tell you about Yui's uh, tattoo. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the soup doctors got a, uh, a diamond a, tattoo. Okay, diamond, yeah. Yeah, on their forehead. And uh, that represents the four corners of their four principles. What are their four principles? I will give loyalty. I will seek knowledge. (laughs) I will practice healing. I will prolong life. The four principles of the soup doctors. Well, two out of four. Ain't too bad. Uh, (laughs) The 50% is not great. Wait, what are the two? The two? Loyalty? Is gone. Yeah. Uh, I will do no harm. 
This uh, is going to make a lot of harm. Well, no, that's why I'm saying. I think he only is seeking knowledge. Uh, <laughs> loyalty's gone. Healing's in question. And life, well, that one's just gone. <laughs> you is a bad doctor. <laughs> but that's not all the tattoo does. What is it? Wait, oh, wait, what? That tattoo is basically a barcode. What? Yeah. Each tattoo is completely individualized to the doctor that gets it. So you'd have to get a microscope out to really get in there to see it. Uh, but there are just this intricacies and patterns uh, layered into that tattoo. So every souk doctor is essentially serialed. So <laughs> when uh, when a great house is purchasing a souk doctor, do they just like scan him under a machine <laughs> in his head? <laughs> yep, you get, a, you get a couple guys to pick him up and <laughs> use a classic uh, kiosk. So yeah. wait, why is he serialized? Well, it's to prevent counterfeit souks. Oh. So no one can fake that they're an imperial condition. Does that doctor. happen? Oh, because yeah. like an assassin or something. Yes. Oh. Uh, matter of fact, Mike, uh, the Tlilaxlu, they got crafty back in the day. Oh. And they were like, we can, we can make a souk doctor. So, Mike, they made a souk doctor. They have a build-a-souk. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah, right next. They just re- <laughs> took their same line. It's probably. <laughs> just rebrand it. Yeah. <laughs> they just hang a different sign over that <laughs> yeah, one. It's exactly. the same exact production line. <laughs> I doubt they change anything. <laughs> Hold the scalpel instead of that dagger. That sounds like work, Derek. Um, but uh, the Tlaxo, they, were, they made one. Uh, and they even counterfeited the diamond tattoo. Oh, but wow. They missed something. What'd they miss? So, the souk school very secretive and it's like conditioning and all the programs they put in to make their suit doctors. Mm-hmm. They have a secondary security measure uh, where there is a hypnotic imprint individualized to each suit doctor. Oh. As well. So these Tlaxo, they faked the uh, tattoo that got the suit doctor where they wanted to, but then they failed because uh, they didn't know there was hypnotic conditioning and their suit doctor was found out before he could do anything. Oh. So they have a twofold system. And it's basically, there's a huge archive uh, on Kaitan where their main school is uh, that they keep this log on so they can confirm their soup doctors when they go out. Okay. Now, all of this doesn't matter after this year. Because Dr. Yui completely Yeah, the school's going to be shut down. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's like that school like next to your house. It's just, it's gone. It's yeah. done. <laughs> uh, and then they have the two different hair rings, like I mentioned, a gold and a silver. Silver and gold. Uh, to kind of distinguish their... Uh, academic or conditioning level and yeah how long has this school the souk school been around for i think you mentioned it before yeah um i'd have to double check off i think it is only like um like the year seven thousand or so or maybe like five thousand so it's not like as old as the mentats or the guild or the benicesserate uh it was a more recent uh thing that came about the incident that spawned its creation uh, there was an imperial family, and their doctor <laughs> had a plan. She was going to kill them all. Uh, oh. She was hired out to kill them. And so the doctor was slowly, um, there were medical accidents, and I'm putting hard quotes up here on accidents, when she was treating some battle wounds. She was administering some poisons to all their food. And uh, when they found out, obviously they killed her right quick. Oh, my gosh. And the Imperials went crazy. And uh, they basically founded this medical school. It was called the Psy School, T-S-A-I Medical School. And then it evolved into the Souk School later on. And, uh, yeah, from that point on, originally only to make doctors for the Imperial family. 
mm-hmm. as it grew, it extended to the other greater houses and stuff to expand their program. That's so wild. Kind of institutionalize these doctors. Now, there was another bit of Yui's description we, did, uh, we didn't touch on. Okay. So he's got this big flopping mustache. <laughs> the stringy floppy mustache. I think it describes it as. I just wanted to note that. Uh, I don't think he's going to have it in the movie. I didn't no? see a mustache on that guy. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. there's pictures. There should be a big floppy mustache. This is for the, the December 2020 yep. movie that's coming out. And yeah, they released, I think Vanity Fair released some uh, pictures great array of them and GQ, so, and everyone has done them now yeah and no floppy mustache or purple lips is that what it described that was it gonna be the one i wanted to get to under, oh underneath that mustache he's got some purple what lips. does he have purple lips well i'm not entirely sure but we're gonna learn that hawat also has purple stained lips hawat's are purple stained i think his just had purpled um but hawat drinks a thing called sappho juice sappho juice Yep, it's like a, a drug that accelerates the mind. Okay. It's like a Mentat's drug of choice. Let me guess. Is there spice in it? Um, Could be. Indigo could be a derivative of blue easily. Uh, but I what don't... What does that even mean? What? Well, just that it's purple and we know spice makes your eyes blue. Oh. Just that. Uh, that, like, dilution of thing. Um, however, I think it is, like, uh, Samuta and Verite going to be derived from another plant entire. Um, it didn't have an article for it in mm. the encyclopedia, so I couldn't figure out actually what Sappho juice was. They could just both be lovers of blueberries. Mm. Those would be expensive to get on a racket. I bet they would be very They'd expensive. Be very expensive. So pointless, actually, too. <laughs> that the good doctor might not invest in it. <laughs> People walking by, what are those? <laughs> it's the wrong season. Don't worry <laughs> about these. Uh, but yeah, purple lips. I just thought it was something that uh, it stood out of obviously an oddity and mm-hmm. what we hadn't talked about uh, that could be right up there with blue eyes. I was, uh, I mean, now that we're talking about plants again, sorry, uh, I don't want to switch gears if you have more to talk about. No, no, that's all right. Um, with uh, the palms being in the wrong season, do you think uh, if you transplant a plant into like a new world like that, that it would adapt its uh, growth to the seasons of that planet? Yes. So then a palm. Because, well, there are several plants um, that actually, they react to light modes when you grow them. Mm -hmm. So you can uh, intentionally push a plant into a flowering mode and out of a flowering mode if you alter its light sequence. Okay, so then they could potentially do that. uh, I mean, with all the tech, they obviously could do that. With the tech, they could. And at least I'm assuming you mean, would it naturally occur to the plant? Yeah, and I think the the plant would react to however, I'm going to use the word programmed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. DNA response. Um, and it's programmed. It's going to react to the light around it. Like, um, if you take a bush, like uh, any of these ones kind of around, some of them are be like, uh, what is it? Winter months are when they go into like a vegetation mode. So mm-hmm. they will, it'll be like 12 hours of sunlight, 12 hours of darkness. This plant will put out the hormones so it's only going to grow like low brush or start growing the upper brush or something. If you switch that lighting and you make it 18 hours bright, six hours dark, that plant's going to change where it's sending its hormones. And the hormones it's sending to its lower branches, it's going to send to its top nodes to grow the plant. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, so I think the tree would, totally. All right. Uh, whether or not it could survive the um, you know the extremes of wherever you put it, obviously Arrakis is going to be a unique example where mm. I'm going to tell you, it's probably going to die. Uh, but there's potential. If you watered it, if you irrigated it, 
Huh. All right. I was just like, I, I don't know. I've got all these weird thoughts like popping up and I'm just trying to get some answers from you while I can. Yeah. Like what else are you thinking? We're in, uh, we're in a good spot. I was, I was thinking about the aggression of worms and uh, if it's possible for the worms to be plugging up the water somehow. Ooh, I always want to hear Like if anytime you want to throw out a theory on yeah, stuff, yeah, like, yeah. I want to hear your yeah, theories all right, all right. of like, some, you've got, uh, you've got a theory Arrakis water conspiracies. Plugging. Yeah. If <laughs> you, want to, you want to sit down with Leto and have a heart to heart of, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You talk Arrakis, he'll talk Segundas. Water, <laughs> water man. It's all water. Do you think uh, a worm would somehow be plugging up the water? You know well, how big the, the worms are. If they're are. aggressive, then they may not be. They'd probably just go and oh. bust up through the city and eat everyone. Do they eat people? Is that the thing? Or do they just destroy whatever's in their path just from their size? Oh, I, I don't want to answer too many worm questions for you. Okay. I will answer water-related worm questions, but I, I, <laughs> I want to wait for us to get to the worms okay. before we talk about it. All right, worms. all right. Dang. I don't know. Um, but in the basin where we are, there mm. are no worms. Wait, why are there no worms in the basin? Uh, we are at like the rock base. Oh, I, so they pretty, can't travel through rock. Yeah, yeah. I'm so pr- I'm pretty, pretty sure much right out now. of Tremors. Yep. Okay. Exactly. We are in like, uh, yeah, just where this kind of all the sand's blown out. This would be like uh, in between these giant canyons. There's this basin that all right, through. So, uh, so my understanding is it's sort of so like most, bed, bedrock. Most uh, human life is going to be like with bedrock. Yep. Yeah. In this, in what we call the Imperial Basin, there's like Basins. Carthag, Arakeen, and a few other settlements. What about uh, what did you call them? The Sietche? Sietch. Sietch. Yep. Uh, is that the same kind of thing where it's like rock formations? Yep. That's in like uh, rock outcroppings in the deep oh. desert. Oh. Oh. Is uh, is it in a Sietch that uh, that dream occurs? Yes. Ah, hey, you're putting them together. I'm getting there. I'm going to cross the edge off my glossary game words because that's <laughs> not going to be a good one for me. It is not. That's crazy. Um, did you have any other questions from this chapter or anything that we uh, missed going through here? Um, let me just double check. I think we talked about everything. I think, yeah, the water was our biggest mystery going in. This was uh, this wasn't actually a part of this chapter. I actually had this thought in between last week and now. When uh, we talked about the uh, the Chris knife. Okay. Um, oh, I, I have a small thing on that. Oh. Uh, if I may, but uh, fixed and unfixed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I uh, incorrectly attributed oh. to the handle part of it. A fixed blade is a Chris knife that has been cured so that it does not dissolve when it's away from moisture. Oh, you can cure them. You can cure them. An unfixed blade is the as in the condition that Mapes gave her, where it will dissolve if it's away from uh, flesh for too long. Why? Okay. And that just has to do biologically, like basically uh, like a rotting tooth. Almost. Oh, no, this is worm biology oh. specifically. Oh, so it's something different. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what... Th- yeah, a little, a, little, so a little special. There's more worm. like worm and water theory going on now. Yeah. Oh. Just gets it going. Yeah, worm, water. Do the... Oh, man, maybe the worms like uh, suck up a lot of the moisture. You think they're just big straws? Well, not not like <laughs> like slurping it down or anything like yeah. that. But like through osmosis or something that like they like the moisture is attracted to them as kind part of, of their yeah, biology. Yeah, since that tooth needs it, yeah. like the rest of their body yeah, would be yeah, like yeah. it, and the Maybe. tooth would just be a more dense material than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mean to that they need it. Put a pin on that one. Yeah, still got a little string of yarn on it. Um, but no, talking about the the Chris knives and everything, and sort of what a knife means. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that in Fremen it means maker, right? Yes. So we talked. I think it was uh, episode. Wait, what? 
Knife does not mean maker. Krishna? No. Yeah, no, no. She says that uh, the feminine word for knife is maker of death. Jessica says. Yeah. Right. Uh, 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 there's like a little mystery bit. Right. You are right. All but right. I'm also I'm, letting you know there's a I'm little bit. I'm also wrong. There's, no, there's, just, there's more. There's just like a little bit you could expand. Okay. <laughs> well, because I was wondering, because we in, in chapter four, the quote was by St. Aaliyah of the Knife. Yes. And so I thought knife had to do with something like being an assassin, assassin. but now I'm thinking maybe St. Aaliyah is part of the Fremen or knows the Fremen and her title has something to do with the Fremen interpretation of the word knife. Mm-hmm. And now I'm cur- now that I don't really know what that means anymore, Derek, <laughs> now I need to learn more, but, uh, Mike, it's the Dunning Kruger effect, uh, <laughs> uh, right before our very eyes where your confidence was so high and I just brought you to the bottom of you that just, bell curve. You, you ruined it. Hey, you know what? You get to climb back up halfway though. Well, you know what? I've got something, uh, Something to climb up. It's going to make me feel good. It's going to make you feel good. It's the glossary oh, game! This will make me feel great, Mike. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. You're, you're I warming can't. up to the glossary game. I, I secretly love it. <laughs> as long as I never slip down from 50% and I hold well, the sedge. I think I got you today, Derek. I think the day that, the day that I actually take the lead. Did you pick two words from a different book? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pride and prejudice, Ar- baby. Aragorn. <laughs> um... We are currently 8-8 eight, eight, tied up because of those bonus words we had to have from our lost episode, which was yeah. tragic. <laughs> um, and last week's words were fan metal, which is a metal formed by the growing of jasmine <laughs> crystals in aluminum, noted for extreme tensile strength in relationship to weight. That was cool. And we did find that, uh, that real-life analog to it. Yeah, which exactly, awesome. which I think was cool. And uh, then it gets its name from being used mainly in collapsible structures that you fan out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that we, uh, wings of an ornithopter. Yeah. An ornithopter. We very certain that's where that's going to come into play. Uh, I'm excited to, uh, to see that now and see them described. We've got some art on our, our, uh, our logo with like little ornithopter things. Yeah. That, uh, she drew out, she drew that without knowing what they were even particular. Yeah. Uh, A couple like primer images we showed her, uh, but she never read Dune. And I, I love her interpretation. They're very bug-like. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In like almost too bug-like, but they look really great. They look good. I, uh, I just thought it was cool. I loved it a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was the one that I stumped you on. Second one, I wasn't so lucky on. I kind of knew you were going to get it. It was Stunner, which is a slow pellet projectile weapon, uh, throwing a poison or drug-tipped dart. Effectiveness limited by variations in shield settings and the relative motion between target and projectile. Mm-hmm. Um. Which we know all about shield combat. Yeah, we're learning a lot more about shields now. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to pop in for next week for words to try and stun you, stump you, but. Uh, house shield. House shield. <laughs> no, or house, see House shunner. <laughs> uh, you feeling good, Derek? You got enough I'm, wine? How about yeah. we refill that glass? Yeah, why don't we? we Every have... advantage is useful. <laughs> <laughs> you, what you call disadvantage, I call advantage. All right, I think I got one little bit left. All right. Well, mm. Thank you, sir. Mm-hmm. All right, but, yeah, uh, missing that one, I, I got really close with fan metal, and I kind of got the stunner on technicality for committing to ranged over a melee. I, ga- I gave it to you. I think it was uh, close, but I gave it to you. Yeah, I thought it was... I appreciate it. Uh, I thought it was a good enough interpretation. 
So, uh, but this week, though, this week, mm-hmm. I got you on one of them. I think I got you on one of them for sure. And okay. the, you know what? The first one, we're going to see just how good your uh, your knowledge is on this. Uh, I'll give you a hint from the get go. OK, if you want. Actually, no, we'll see if you need a hint. Well, we'll sure, always give me the word first. Yeah, the word is Servok. S-E-R-V-O-K. OK. Servok. I'll take that hint. All right. Um. So the use of it is uh, derivative in the name itself. Okay. So if you, yeah. Mm. So there are devices called, uh, I believe they're servitors. Servitors. Yeah. That makes me think of uh, like 40K. Yeah. And like I, Warhammer they, stuff. they are, um, I believe they're semi-illegal machines. Okay. Uh, some of them are too complex. Like they're, they, oh. they, they cross that Butlerian Jihad line. Gotcha. Um, and they had them in the Atreides library back. When, remember when I told you the library used to be like this really expensive uh, rival, the Kai Town library. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So before the Atreides became this militarized family, they were these academics and that library had servitors that were like on the line uh, because the library was so big. It needed these things to like keep it organized. Oh. So Servok. I'm, I mean, I don't feel confident with this, but I'm going to guess it is an extension of the servitors. So some sort of like maintenance machine, maybe, or like something that runs the entire household or base. Um, you're not wrong, but you're not right either. That's How does it feel? Story of my life. <laughs> yeah, Mike. No. <laughs> um, no, so. I think, you're, I think you're, that, you're pretty much on I think that's the best I can do. Yeah. So. All right, let me tell you what we yeah. got here, and then we'll see what you think. Okay. So it's a clock set mechanism to perform simple tasks, one of the limited automatic devices permitted after the Butlerian Jihad. Okay. Oh, oh. okay. So a clock, pretty much. No, but you know what that makes me think of? Remember what? in Doctor Who, when they were the clockwork robots? Oh, yeah, yeah. In the episode's called The Girl in the Fireplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's like season four, episode mm-hmm. three. With Madame Pompadour. Madame Pompadour. And he goes back in time. And they're those those guys. Those are servitors or servox, oh. I think. Like, that's what the, completely clockwork, but, like, really ah. intricate and complex. Like, imagine having 30,000 years. Well, it doesn't us. say that they're, like, a, a person or anything. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. I'm implying that, but, like, yeah. I'm not saying they're perfectly. I don't think, yeah, they'd build it to look like a person, especially if you can't make something in right. the mind like a person. We are not building human-shaped robots in this world. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely a Valerian no That is taboo. <laughs> Um, but no, yeah, I think I don't. I I want to give me it. I'm willing to see how bad I do a on the clock next set one. mechanism to perform simple tasks. And I don't know. Did I not say like an automated machine that would? Yeah, you also said it was banned though. I did. So yeah, yeah, that I guess you building off of. Uh, well, I where they they walked the line. I don't know. I'll I'll leave that at your discretion. All right, all right, all right. You make the call. What's your, what's your next one? You can, next one. You can think about that while we do this, Lord. All right. Cast your judgment. If anyone wants to uh, back me up, though, I'll gladly take uh, your support online or offline. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll get a ruling from uh, some of our uh, some of our comrades at work. See what we can okay. finagle here. Uh, schlag. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get that spelled, please? <laughs> S-C-H-L-A-G. 
Schlag. Now, the name, I think, is definitely German-derived. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, but it, I don't think, I, I will say, though, that is not really going to give you a hint as to what the word means. Fair enough. It does, it makes me think of, like, I don't know if this is a phrase, but it's like, that was such a long schlag. Of like, something you have to, like, trek through mud uphill through or something. Yeah. Is that, like, a, is that a phrase? I think it, it's, isn't it, like, slog? Slog, okay, yes. But schlag, schlag in German means, like, to hit something. Okay. What is uh could you give me a proper hint? Is that uh am I to ignore this German? Uh mm, I'm tempted to. Let's see here. Um Schlag. It's a pretty short definition, so I'm, it's hard to give you a hint on this one. Okay, okay. Um Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking like this thing. I really want to say to like walk or move through. It's it sounds like it like is it like an object? Is a schlog like a large, cumbersome or burdensome thing that is like in your way? I mean, it might be in the grand scheme of things, but uh, that's not the definition that I oh, would accept. I, I think I'm going to yield this definition. It is. Schlag. And this is why I you know, did some uh, reconnaissance in this episode asking you what you know about Tupile and its flora and fauna. Damn it. Is it the, it's the flower that goes <laughs> no. on Tupile? It's an animal native to Tupile. Once hunted almost to extinction for its thin and tough hide. Oh, okay. Thank God. There is a flower in there, is there? somewhere. Yeah. And I, that was the one. Every time you're going to guess, is it the flower is on Tupile? <laughs> That flower two piles the bane of my existence because I thought that was two pile. When you first that, I could swear that was the word. I'm like, that's the flower on that planet they go to. Schla- okay, so what kind? Of, read that again. Yeah, One more uh, an animal native to two pile once hunted almost to extinction for its thin, tough hide. Hmm, that makes me think too because two pile said that it was a planet or multiple planets. This I think sort of really hones in on the fact that Tupile is probably just one world. Well, no, no, that there is definitely one world called Tupile. Oh, within the grand but, scheme of it? Yeah, but I think, like, ultimately we refer to this system or, like, anyone who leaves, you go to, quote-unquote, Tupile. Right. Uh, of, like, that's just the farm upstate. Um, and whether or not they are on that specific planet. And then, probably much like uh, Seleucus Secundus, we have this... Um, thread of history that we've clung on to that's all we know it by so we know a little bit about this one world two pile right. but since the guild has like cut it off now who knows um on well, that i mean if i can even take you a slight tangential who knows what else the guild has pocketed away in this that's universe? a great question actually because they're the only ones that would know mm-hmm. they're the ones that keep the records yeah they're the only ones who can fly the ships there yeah no one you can't make a navigator take you somewhere I don't think that's possible. Really? Well, how would you? Yeah, I guess uh-huh. that's true. You would have to like get to him and then get him in the ship under still your control. Like there's just so many means where they would be the ones in control of you at that point. Um, so, so that word total loss. I now really need us to revisit that first. Well, I was about to say. So where are we? How are we feeling about Servok now, Derek? <sighs> I'm feeling okay with Servok. Uh, you think you got it? I I, I want it. Uh, I know you want it. <laughs> we'll wait till next week. Let's seek a third right. opinion. We'll come back to you guys, uh, and uh, we'll yeah we'll even give you guys a chance to give us some feedback then before we commit for that next one. All right, all right. That will be how we go forward. I like it. I like it.
Uh, I, I mean, at the very least, you got to give me, I had the derivative of the word right. Mm-hmm. Uh, coming from the servitors. Mm-hmm. It's pretty mm-hmm. awesome. No, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. I did have to give you a little bit of a hint on that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So uh, take that into account. Okay. Anywho, <laughs> I think that's going to wrap it up for this week. Yeah. If you've got a question for us or know a wine we can afford, let us know. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Spice World Pod. You can reach us via email at SpiceWorldPod at gmail.com. And all of our episodes are going to be on spiceworldpod.com um next week is chapter nine now chapter nine we're getting there man we're getting there what do we have to look forward to well i was just gonna say 10 is gonna be a great milestone oh double digits oh Uh, we got a fancy one it's gonna feel nice oh you think it's (laughs) It's gonna cost 15 (laughs) dollars well mike the next episode we're gonna go join paul Mm -hmm. which i'm excited to get back to this is gonna be our first time seeing paul in his new house on this new world we haven't had paul for a while have we not, it's been a couple chapters. Yeah, not since, uh, well, oh, no, we were with Duke Lido, I guess. It's only oh, I guess two. that's right. Yeah, we spent a lot of time with Paul in that training it room It feels afterwards. so long ago. It was been a, it's been a whole no, day. No, it has been two chapters. Yeah, two chapters. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, two with Jessica now. And Paul's uh, sleeping on that bed, but Mike. Drank needle in his, in his neck. What did uh, Paul do when we first met him? Oh, when we first met him, he was asleep. Was he? Oh, oh he was vacant. Oh, Is was he? he awake the whole time? <laughs> Paul, I don't think his kid sleeps, Mike. <laughs> so we're going to go in. We're going to see what Paul's up to. <laughs> <laughs> He's too excited to sleep. That's exciting. But that's going to have to wait for next week. Oh, uh, man. Thank you, Mike, especially for the glossary game. Yeah. Even I'm, though I feel like you tweaked some things a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see if I get those points. Uh, until then, the spice must flow. like a happy medium for how dry the last one was but uh, that, that is that smooth like right. creamy or flowery sort of flavor in the front mm-hmm. well why don't you go ahead and take today's uh i got all the good words out already <laughs> just uh, edit that up throw it in post we're good <laughs> now on to the next one <laughs>